0: A content warning. This series deals with dark themes, including child and domestic abuse, sexual assault, and content that is inappropriate for children. Please be advised.
1: They know what they're doing is wrong. And that's why they keep it a secret. That's why they hide it. It's hidden.
2: They were five hours grilling and grilling and grilling. I, I was exhausted emotionally, spiritually, and I was thinking mm. about my dead baby. Then you would have said, oh, don't right. listen to them.
3: Satan's talking to you. He's trying to take you away from the community, from God and Yeshua.
4: I lost everything. My daughter
5: was in the community. My best friends were either in prison or dead. I said, stop lying to me. And I actually grabbed his shirt, held my fist up, and I said, where is she? Where is my wife? My only way to survive was going out and handing free papers to evangelizing people and trying to recruit them there. Christ has changed our hearts, and we had to turn away from sin and walk in righteousness. And all I want to do is like scream to these people, just run. Get the fuck out
3: of here. Fuck out of out here.
0: Fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. I'm Tim Elliott. You're listening to Inside the Tribe. This is Episode One The Farm.
2: I hope they construct a coffin for him, which I didn't like.
0: Mark didn't have a lot of time, but it was the most important job he'd ever been given, and he had to get it right.
2: Uh, I don't know. It's weird, you know. You're psychologically uh,
0: depressed. Once it was finished, they put the coffin in the back of the car, and then they set out that night to look for a place to bury the body.
2: So Han, he drove me. He's one of the leaders. He um, drove me out.
0: They headed west for two and a half hours down Highway 31, past Yandera and Yerenbull, over Long Swamp Creek, through Binda and Crooked Corner, and finally onto Bigger. They turned down an unpaved road, then stopped, turned off the lights and got out of the car. They grabbed a shovel and carried the coffin into the bush.
2: Well, we went out, uh, located a spot which was quite away from the dwellings and things and in the middle of the bush because they got like a thousand acre property. So, I'm um, in the middle of this forest type bush and basically dug a shallow grave. Because we couldn't dig very deep because it was all very rocky. And heart says, oh no, that'll be fine, you know, you don't dig it too deep, it's fine, you know. It was in a box, and you know, then bury it and put a rock over the box. There was no markings or anything, perhaps a grave site or anything. Uh, so that's how it was.
0: Mark was exhausted. It was a terrible time. I felt so
2: distraught. We really bad. Like, I don't know, my heart had sunk right down.
0: And... He parked his shovel in the ground. Looked over at Han. Both men were silent. Then,
2: made a prayer. I had a prayer. Yeah, just prayed to creator. Um, at that time, you know, and I believe I was really wholehearted.
0: They were quiet on the drive home. Mark was still in shock, but even in that moment, he knew what they'd done was against the law. But it all happened so fast. Everything was moving too quickly. Within 48 hours, he and his wife Rose and their three children were on the run. They don't
3: even tell you. You just sent somewhere. You just said, you have to go, we have to go. They sent us away, the whole family.
2: Why? Uh,
3: Well, the story was to protect us.
0: What or who were they running from? And how did Mark and Rose? A perfectly normal couple from Sydney end up here? Mark thought that being a dad would be about teaching the kids how to surf and play music, about how to look after one another and be there for the people you love. At what point did his life take a turn down a rough country road in the middle of the night with a body in the back seat? I am Tim Elliott, a journalist and author. I first met Mark and Rose in 2013 on assignment for the Sydney Morning Herald. The story they told me was extraordinary, a bizarre and nightmarish journey with a group called the 12 tribes, a shadowy religious sect that promised them peace and love, a life lived in freedom and harmony. But for Mark and Rose, the reality turned out to be far darker. After I wrote that story, I put it away and didn't really think about it much. Then, years later, out of the blue, I got a phone call from a woman I'll call Sarah.
1: Okay, so we have this local op shop, which for people overseas is like a charity, and the volunteers there are just gorgeous. They play this really loud music. They're older folks. And they listen to all their 60s and 50s and 70s rock, and it's just a great vibe. And I'm a dancing girl. I dance everywhere. Once I turn 40, fuck it. I dance in the supermarket if I hear a good song. Again, another reward as a mother to embarrass my children. So I was dancing while I was waiting to be served at this op shop, the charity shop, and this little cult boy came up to me and said very quietly, he was probably about seven, he said, what you're doing is a sin. And I turned to him and said, no, darling, dancing is a joyful, joyful experience, and it's something we do when we want to feel good. It's not a sin, darling. And then the grandfather came with his big beard and all his little cotton clothes and come, hurried him away.
0: Asking around town, Sarah discovered that the boy and the old man belonged to a group called the Twelve Tribes. She then looked them up online and found some stories about them, including mine. Sarah had suspected something wasn't right with these people. She was convinced something sinister was going on. That call piqued my interest. It was time to see Mark and Rose again.
3: So it was. Uh, was it 12, 12, it's
0: going to be twelve years ago right? that we left. Yeah, quite a while. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I probably would have even forgotten since last time I talked to you.
3: I might just
2: get some water.
0: Turns out they haven't changed much. Mark is tall, a solid guy with scruffy shoulder length hair. No thanks,
2: I'm fine at the moment. Thank you. He's
0: a Kiwi, very gentle and with a big warm smile. The kind of person who could find the upside in just about any situation. A professional musician, he plays drums and percussion with bands at festivals up and down the east coast of New South Wales. He also runs a business hiring out drum kits. There's a whole room in the house, packed to the rafters with all kinds of different drums, instruments and recording gear. Well, first
3: we we thought, we thought, oh, we're
0: gonna- Rose is more reserved, but highly intelligent and curious. She grew up in Spain and Paris, and speaks several languages. In 1987, when she was 22, she came to Australia to go travelling and met Mark two years later. What really stands out about them is that despite everything they've been through, they are still so much in love, glancing at one another and holding hands as we settle in on the couch and go back to the beginning to a warm spring day at a busy weekend festival in Sydney in 1996.
2: We were sitting on the grass and after a while I got up and went for a walk around.
0: Soon he was approached by a friendly young woman in a flowing dress and long hair.
2: Looks like you need a home. That was the first thing she said. I mean, I was—I had long hair in those days. I looked a bit like a hippie. Board shorts and, I don't know, I think I was just wearing a vest I was well, tanned, because I was at the beach most of the time.
0: The woman gave Mark a pamphlet. On the cover was the title, A Brotherhood of Man. Mark brought the pamphlet back and showed Rose.
6: Where is the brotherhood of man that John Lennon imagined in his soul? Where are the dreamers who have given up their possessions so that greed and hunger could be done away?
0: The pamphlet was made by a group that called itself the Twelve Tribes.
2: We were in the process of just just getting back, you know, coming back from Europe. Yeah, we didn't know many
3: people around.
2: Yeah, so we just had bought a car and uh, we didn't know many people. And we didn't know many people. (laughs) And we met these people, and they looked really a bit feminine. alternative. You know, okay. we, we were a little bit alternative ourselves. So it just appealed to me, regardless of the religion, you know, because I just thought it was quite cool, you know, that there'd be a community of people that live together that supposedly say we love each other. Mm-hmm. And that sounded like beautiful, you know, like some nirvana, you know, like is there really a people that can live together and love one another and share everything in common? It gets you in that way. And you've got to remember back then, there was no internet at all. Absolutely none. So we had done no research. And these people were very loving. They loved bomb You, mm. They were really friendly.
0: At the time, Mark and Rose were living with their two young children in an apartment in Kujie, a beachside suburb in Sydney. Mark was playing the occasional gig. Rose got some work in a call centre.
2: When we came back, we were financially not doing that well until I started getting work, and then we met the 12 tribes. So we were in a sort of low uh, at that time, as I remember.
3: Well, just getting back, uh, trying to, to find the school for the kids that we like and finding some work. I was doing some courses and looking for work.
0: But they were keen to try something new, and so they began visiting the 12 tribes on the weekends at a property the group owned called Peppercorn Creek Farm in Picton, an hour and a half drive south of Sydney.
2: And it was quite magic because they had it, they were in a beautiful big tent and they had all these candles set up and all the people were very nice and they danced and played music. And they realised I was a drummer, I said I was a drummer, which I was, so I went up and played drums with the Israeli folk music and we had a nice meal and we just loved it, you know. So we would come back every weekend. We thought, hey, this is cool, a community, you know, you know, people living together, growing organic veggies, baking organic bread, you know, having beautiful cafes. It's quite appealing, you know, in a way it is quite appealing, you know, to be in a society where you can all work together as one rather than individually going to work every day or doing what you do to earn you keep. Eventually, we joined. Like we were there, there was a, they called it the First
3: Day Festival, which is a Sunday, and they had all this dancing and all this and all that, but uh, it was beautiful and the food was always great and all that.
0: It was
2: all so perfect. So when we first met the community, we thought, man, these children are really well behaved, because my children are all over the shop. They also
3: had teachings
2: which were specifically targeted to us to make us
3: feel that we, we need to repent and yeah. that we needed Jesus, you know, Yeshua, as they call him. And it really worked.
0: Within a few days of joining, Mark and Rose met with a so-called elder named Israel. Israel went with them to their apartment in Kuji and began sorting through their belongings, deciding what they could keep and what they could sell. Many of their possessions, the kids' clothes, Mark's surfboard, books, toys, had a negative spirit about them and were deemed unsuitable.
2: He took out to a flat and he says, You've got to, you can keep this, you can keep that, you keep this furniture. This furniture will be handy for the community, your wardrobes or whatever. You know, some clothes, they didn't like you. Some of the leather jackets I had, bike leather jackets and stuff like that. This is no good. Oh, these jeans are too tight. Oh, this dress is too tight. You get rid of that.
0: The family car didn't make the cut.
2: It was a bit sporty the car, kids, they so. didn't like those sporty type cars too at that time, you know, they want something just more care. practical, you know, you so they the sold it and they get rid of it, you know. And uh, at that time we were in the process of paying off some land in Queensland as well, and they were asking me, "Oh, you know, what about this land in Queensland? I said, Well I own it with another two guys. We actually had about only about eight and eight or nine thousand dollars to pay off in this land, which is up in the Sunshine Coast. They says, don't worry about it anymore then, you know, if you can't sell it because there's two other people involved. So we just left it. We thought, oh, well, no more payments, nothing. They even ask you about your super. At some stage, they says, oh, have you got any superannuation? And I said, yeah, but I never got around to giving them my super.
4: Jesus said, he said, nobody could be my disciple unless he gives up all his own possessions.
0: As one of the elders at the time, an American man named Hahn explains.
4: He said, you have to hate your life. Lose it, give it up, abandon it, to be my disciple, to follow me. So we were, we were just building on that, you know?
0: When Mark and Rose and the kids drove out of Sydney for the very last time, they were buzzing with the promise of a new life. And for the first few weeks, that new life couldn't have been better.
2: Oh, well, they were playing music, they were dancing, and you think, man, this is great. They're
3: that impeccable in how they present themselves. Like, they look, they really agree with each other, that they love each other, that they're happy, you know. It really looks like something different, like a different society than uh, than the one I know, you know, that I've lived in my life. In January
0: 1997, Mark and Rose were baptised, or washed for their sins, in the creek that runs behind the farm, and given new Hebrew names. Mark became Katan, or childlike. Rose became Asarela, meaning virtuous.
2: Yes, we went to the Was creek. Pepcon Creek, yeah. uh, creek On the farm. farm. They had a beautiful little creek in those days running through. And after the teaching... Uh, We were supposedly convicted. I started talking and saying something, they said, you got something to say. And I said, look, I need to be saved. I need to be cleaned, you know, from my sins and transgressions. So they took us down, and Rose said the same thing, and they took us down, and they baptised us, you know, traditional baptism.
0: Two of the most senior elders, Han, and a New Zealander named Yotam, oversaw the baptisms. The
3: creek was flowing. It was really muddy, actually.
0: This muddy water was more cleansing than Rose could possibly have imagined.
3: Well, I don't know, something happens, you really feel like you're clean and you have this fresh... For for about two, three days, it's like you're walking on clouds.
0: But Mark's feet were firmly on the ground. He went through the same motions as his wife, was baptised in the same water. He knew what he was supposed to feel, but he just... Didn't.
2: I had this quite a trippy thing that when I get baptized, I'm just going to feel like I'm clean, but I actually felt the same.
0: Mark decided to keep this feeling to himself, and within days of taking on their Hebrew names, the newly baptized Asarella, Rose, made her own discovery.
3: In one of the meetings, uh, you know, they have uh, twice a day, uh, I remember Yedida saying, uh, it's just the beginning when you get baptised and you know you have to keep on getting washed of your sins all the time and I remember thinking, oh, I thought it was going to all be gone and that's it.
0: Still, any misgivings that Mark and Rose might have had were pushed aside as they concentrated on settling into the community. There were 70 people living on the farm, including 12 families. Many of them were second generation, something that made a big impression on Rose. She figured that if people had grown up there and decided to stay, it must be good. People slept in a couple of large barns and some smaller outbuildings, and even a bus and a tent. Space was tight, but everyone just seemed to muck in and get along, which was just as well, because there was a lot to do. The day began at 6am with a blast of the shofar, or ram's horn. There was a morning gathering at 7am, which included prayers and singing, followed by the day's work. There was a clear division of labour. Men worked in the fields, farming or tending the animals. One of Mark's first jobs was to look after the community's flock of Merino sheep. The women, meanwhile, cooked and cleaned, sewed clothes and took care of the babies. They also homeschooled the children... Using especially approved texts that were printed on site. And on Saturday night, the Sabbath, came the breaking of bread, after which everyone engaged in a compulsory group screaming session. It took a little getting used to.
2: At first, I thought it was a bit strange. So you're crying out, and everyone just screams and cries out what they want to be saved for. You know their iniquity, so everyone yells and screams.
0: As Mark and Rose were discovering, there were certain aspects of the community that they weren't made aware of when they joined. Children, for example, were to be strictly disciplined, even for minor breaches such as not standing up straight. Members weren't to use condoms or the pill. Pregnant women rarely went to hospital to give birth. Apparently it all happened there, on the farm, overseen by other 12 tribes members, who Mark and Rose understood to be trained midwives. And there was no TV, magazines, newspapers or radio.
2: They say they try to keep the world out, like watching TV, you know. They believe you can be indoctrinated by TV.
0: It was also thought best if contact with the outside world was kept to a minimum. The visits from friends and family were gently discouraged. The property had two phone lines, but only some people were allowed to use them.
3: That was part of becoming part of them, that we would have to give up certain things. And uh, we knew we had to give up being vegetarians. But for, for example, about TV, Mark and I didn't have a TV back then, and we didn't think much of not having one. So we knew we couldn't smoke or drink, but that didn't concern us because we didn't do uh, we didn't do those uh, anyway. And back then there was no mobile phones and internet, so that wasn't an issue.
0: Oh, and wives were meant to submit utterly to their husbands.
3: It didn't bother me because we had a great relationship, Mark and I, and he, he listened to me as well. I, I, I couldn't fathom, I couldn't imagine how they could put a wedge between me and my husband. Uh, especially when they talk about love and how they uphold uh, marriage uh, as a sacred thing from God and, and all that. And we had a great relationship, so I thought, well, what can go wrong?
0: By now, Mark and Rose understood that the farm at Picton was part of a global 12 tribes family with communities all over the world, including in the USA, Canada, France, Germany and England. The community at Picton had been set up in 1994 by two Americans, the tall, bespectacled Hahn or Scott Zanucki, and a flamboyant ponytail character named William Nunnelly or Noon, as he was known. Hahn later told an Australian news crew that he'd been shocked to be chosen for the task.
4: At that point in the twelve times, there was no one in the southern hemisphere at all, and we would never send. One person by themselves, Two by two is the biblical standard, and that's how Jesus did it. And people were praying and fasting. It's a big deal, you know? Who are we going to send to the other side of the planet to start up the 12 tribes, you know? Like...
0: The audio is a bit off here, but basically Han is saying how excited and surprised he was to be chosen to start the 12 tribes colony in Australia. At the time, he was not a senior member.
2: Han was actually quite a nice guy. Really friendly, um, very bubbly, intelligent guy.
4: I'm not a confrontational person by nature, so I had to learn these things. Yeah, I was the leader. All we had was young people. I had to be the leader.
0: Noon was different. He's a he's leader.
4: Teacher or shepherd, deep, deep person, very artistic, very musical. He's a great guy to be around, pretty intense. And because of his energy and, and his understanding and his maturity, we, people started to come and join.
2: Noon was always talking a whole lot. Look, he was very zealous to get work done on the farm, to uh, develop the farm, plant trees, put gardens in, mainly directing, but he had a lot of really good ideas.
0: Noon and Han commanded a certain respect. People went to them for advice and guidance, but they didn't lord their authority over anybody. Indeed, one of the guiding precepts of the community was that everyone, in theory at least, was equal.
5: Like what they teach you to make you join is, is a lot of it's really quite good and nice. This
0: it's, is Matt Klein, a former member who that's lived in Picton at the same time as Mark and Rose. Churches should do. Matt had joined the community in 1999 with his wife and two young
5: children. And they said, no, we, we don't have a leader. We, all we do is we follow the Bible and we love God by loving one another. And everyone in this group is equal. No one is greater or lesser than anyone else. And you don't have to do anything here unless you do it by faith and it's like wow that's that sounds great
0: there were only a few thousand 12 tribes members worldwide it was a small special family of like-minded people mark and rose also learnt about the founder a man called yonek who had started the 12 tribes in 1972 in tennessee Yonek's background seemed a little hazy He was an important figure, obviously, but certainly not all-powerful, just a man with a vision about how to live a better life.
3: They didn't make him out to be some really amazing, great man. Uh, Here and there, usually during teachings, Noon would say a few things about Yannick, about him, how he heard the call from God and to help others and all that, and we heard a bit about him. Uh, having some youth ministry and how communities started to form around that, and how he was disappointed in Christianity and wanted to come back to the true gospel. And never did I witness excess devotion to any person.
0: The 12 Tribes global community had a monthly newsletter called Intertribal News that included teachings, or the anointing as they were known. Some of the teachings were from the Bible, but most were written by Yonek who had add his own unique interpretation of God's will. Every morning meeting, there would be a reading from the teachings, usually delivered by Han or Noon.
6: These free papers are eternal life, the word of God. Some people don't read it at all, and then they claim to have eternal life. Impossible. I'm talking about this because I want you to know how great a sin it is if you don't read them yourself. Don't even imagine that you are saved and have eternal life.
0: The anointing was part of the Twelve Tribes' inner doctrine. It was not for public consumption, and for good reason. Yonick's teachings could be idiosyncratic, to say the least. They seemed to cover almost every aspect of people's lives. He insisted that men wear beards, since it was only the Romans who started shaving. There was no sugar, chocolate, coffee or tea, and there was an emphasis on cultured foods like yogurt and kombucha. Yonek forbade wristwatches, which he considered a vanity, and at one point decreed that all members eat with chopsticks in order to speed up the group's movement into Asia.
1: And so we had to sit down in this meeting and, and we were told we could only use two sheets of toilet paper. If you went number one, you shouldn't use any toilet paper. If you went number two, you could
0: use two sheets. Relationships were strictly policed.
1: I have no fear of not being
0: Marrying outside the 12 tribes was forbidden. Rather, I am Elders or sometimes Yonek himself, acted as matchmaker.
6: If you're a single man or a teenager, you weren't allowed to talk to single women unless there was more than two present.
5: They're the ones that decide uh, whether someone could get married or not. And they decide to put people on waiting periods, which is like a like a courtship, but without any physical uh, contact. It's like you can take walks together, you can talk together, which normally single people are not allowed to do those things. But if you're on a waiting period, then it's okay. But it's also closely watched by the rest of the community.
0: Even masturbation was regulated. When in sexual need, the person himself can soothe his
6: own bodily part. The self-stimulation to achieve climax is in order, as long as the thoughts are not dragged through the slime of fantasy.
0: Now, it's important to understand here that Mark and Rose had never been religious. What attracted them to the Twelve Tribes was the sense of community and belonging, of everyone working together and being heard. If God was the glue that kept all this together, then so be it. Within just a few months however, they found themselves relating more and more to the religious aspect of the group, all that talk of God and sin and repentance. To help them along that path, they were assigned what were called shepherds, senior members of the community whose spiritual insight enabled them to act as a mentor. Rose's shepherd was a woman named Bakira.
3: So I used to go to these ladies. Because I regarded them as more spiritual than me, it's like you think you're hearing from God, so you're just gonna, you know, devoutly do everything they're saying, obey everything they're saying, and the teachings go with that. You have to obey the leaders. You have to.
0: And there was a lot to open up about. Rose, for example, had slept with men before getting married. She had also rebelled against her mother. Mark, meanwhile, had given in to dissipation. He had surfed, ridden motorbikes, smoked marijuana. Members were encouraged to renew your mind, a phrase from the Apostle Peter, and to be an open book before your brethren, always sharing your sins, either with the elders, your shepherd, or with the entire community at the gatherings.
2: So after a while, you feel like you're guilty. It's a weird thing. It's like they put something into you, that you might uh, feel that something Mm. on your conscience. Before you can enter the kingdom of God, you have to get rid of all the stuff, all the iniquity which is in you, that was previously passed on to you by your your mother, your father, the way the world is, all the problems Mm. in the world. There was a teaching going on and uh, they were talking about things and it was really aimed at Rose and I, you know, about people loving uh, music and having idols and, People that, like, for example, I've, I had a girlfriend, a few girlfriends, you know, sex out of marriage. They say that, you know, you have to be married in order to have sex and stuff like that. And after a while, I you felt really, divorce, I felt also, really yeah. girl, guilty. Oh, yeah, man, I've been immoral. So it's just pricking your conscience because they're working on you every day.
0: At the same time, their lives were coming under increasing scrutiny.
2: So you start asking a question
3: about something and they always bring it back to talking about you and your problems and um you know the little bit that you said to one person they pass it around so everybody gets to know about all the things that you've um you've said about your life and they start using against you to make you feel guilty so then you look at your kids and they look like they're out of control they seem so happy so you you feel like you're not so happy they look like they always agree with each other so then you've Every little bit of disagreeing, you think, oh, you know, you're kind of not really thinking about it. But then they talk to you, oh, you and Mark have a lot of problems. and, And you go, oh, yeah, I guess so, compared to you guys, you know.
0: One of the 12 tribes' teachings is that the outside world is irredeemably evil, full of sin and temptation. Members of the group are told to have as little as possible to do with it. They don't vote, and modern medicine is shunned.
6: There's no proper medical care there at all. And they try to cure everything with herbs or whatever.
0: This is David Pike, who was with the group in America in the late 1990s and 2000s.
6: I think they've had several people with there with mental health problems, and uh, they didn't get them proper help. They don't want to deal with it. Children die in infancy that didn't need to be, because of them not going to hospitals, uh, I saw a, a dear woman die of breast cancer, which was not treated properly, treated with herbs and whatever, instead of uh, chemo or something else. Well, uh, it ended up she had breast cancer, which should have been diagnosed much earlier. None of the women get the mammograms. None of them get checkups. And by the time they found out, you know, it was probably too advanced and they still did not seek out the hospital care, uh, which they could have, and she, she died a long and painful death. And then on top of that, whenever somebody dies in the 12 tribes, they have a ruling over it, and it ruled that she, she got that cancer because she was not following her husband's directions properly. So they blamed her for her own death, that it was a punishment. And she was such a wonderful
0: woman. Then there was the matter of money. No one in the community was allowed to handle cash, keep a bank account or have a credit card. Well, no one except for the elders. If someone needed to buy something, say a new pair of shoes, they had to tell Noon or Han or Israel, who would then go and buy the shoes for them. And yet, unbeknownst to most of the members millions of dollars were flowing into the organisation. When Mark and Rose were there, the 12 tribes owned at least 24 businesses worldwide. Furniture stores, kids' clothing outlets, a printing press, leather shops, soap factories, whole food outlets, cafes, bakeries and several multi-million dollar construction firms. The biggest of which, Builders of Judah, specialised in nursing homes and historic restorations. They also owned a farm in Brazil that grew mate, a tea-like herb, which according to David Pike, made huge money for them. There was also the money that new members handed over to the group when they joined. One day they,
2: they picked up a guy that looked like a bit of a bum and dad California. Owned a, in California, and his dad owned a huge machine company, and he he gave him about six million dollars.
0: The Australian tribe was also doing well. They owned a number of rural properties and houses in the Blue Mountains and South Coast. They also operated labour hire businesses, demolition and painting crews, a thriving bakery and cafes, all of it tax-free, of course. Hahn had set up the tribe's tax-exempt status in Australia and smoothed over issues like workplace cover and insurance. Members, meanwhile, worked 10, 12 or 15 hour days for no money.
4: There's no wages going on at all. I mean, WorkCover had a devil of a time trying to work with us because we're all bosses. In the end, that's how I worked out. <laughs> there are no employees because there are no wages. There was a provision in, in the tax law at the time that the government would be able to tax you if it was considered wages and kind, and I made an argument that it wasn't. And it was based on our life. Our life was it was... It wasn't even our own. This wasn't a business arrangement. And they send us a letter saying, okay, you're approved. And I mean, of course the community pays sales tax, as does everyone, they pay rates, as does everyone who owns property. They pay, you know, whatever kind of taxes they have to pay, but they don't make personal income. No one makes a personal income, not Renee, not no one. And so there is no place for income tax to land.
0: Members were working themselves to the bone for the good of the community.
6: Working from sun up to sundown, six days a week, luckily you get uh, one day of rest, and you might not even get that. You might be tasked to... Uh, babysit children for a family that needs rest.
2: So we were painting and doing various different jobs. Landscaping things. Landscaping, we nearly yeah. anything. They had all then, these different industries. Then they uh, got industries. into demolition. Then there was demolition work where we'd do yeah. demolition to, and we'd retrieve the uh, materials that we could rebuild a cafe. For example, we'd pull something down and be all these stainless steel benches and then eventually they we'd build a bakery eventually.
0: One of Mark's first jobs was to build a mobile cafe called Common Ground at the annual Woodford Folk Festival. Woodford is a big deal. A six-night outdoor party in tropical Queensland with bands, a circus, comedy shows and street theatre. More than 125,000 people go along. It was a huge money spinner for the tribes, netting them up to $200,000 over the week. It was also a great place to recruit new members. But Mark's working conditions were less than ideal.
2: For example, we'd be setting up the stairs for the mobile cafe, and this thing weighs about 300 kilos. So you'd have about six to eight brothers just trying to lift this whole thing up. You really needed a crane or forklift. I've seen two people injured, You know, their backs injured. You know, I even got injured one time lifting up a a juice bar, and the juice bar, the brothers couldn't hold it, and I was under it, and so it hit my shoulder, and I got hurt. Uh, A guy called Kafer, uh, he he ended up injuring his knee because he had to get the staircase off the truck, you know, and some of the things are pretty heavy work. You're you're building, you're constructing things. They didn't have, like when I've done building work, I use scissor lifts and forklifts and you can, you, you know, cranes and stuff like that. Well, you'd just be lifting it, you know? In the demolition jobs, one time we were removing asbestos with little flimsy masks. We were removing asbestos. You don't, you don't remove as, asbestos with a, a flimsy mask. You have a full oxygen suit. That's, everything's isolated. There's different laws, but they got away with just doing what they basically wanted.
0: Matt Klein was
5: working under similar conditions. And then we had we had kids working inside tanks doing uh, sandblasting of aluminium these are 12 13 year old kids without proper protection doing the sandblasting i was in charge of painting the aluminium and the paint we were using was quite toxic and it was actually banned in about 48 of the 50 american states because of the toxic nature of it but it ended up with a nice copper sheen so we had to use it we had people welding aluminium for days and days and days without respirators and getting quite sick from all the metal fumes they were breathing.
4: There is a treasure that's stored up for us with our king.
5: The
0: work was important, but so was worship. He will bring it. After a while, that it became difficult to think straight. When he looks us in the eyes as he sits upon his throne. So the
2: long hours, they have a gathering every morning early and every evening. So you're rotating every morning. You have a gathering. Evening You're at the gathering Then it comes to the Sabbath a, Supposedly on the Sabbath But then it's a gathering Before the Ereph Sabbath Ereph Shabbat They call it Even on that day And then Then they even assign you That you might be on the meal Or the breaking of the bread and So really You've got no time You're you're exhausted In your mind Absolutely Physically exhausted mm. For working Six days a week Long hours And then you've got all these gatherings every day, every morning, every evening that you have to go to. You don't have time to have your own time to really think.
0: Mark Rose and the children, who were then eight and five, had now been in the community for about a year and a half. They'd just had their third child, a beautiful little girl. The family was now well and truly part of the community. They were in deep. It was all they knew. But with their younger daughter's birth, they were in for a surprise, a gift of sorts from the elders, a confirmation that they were in the family. It was a book called Our Child Training Manual, 348 pages long, that set out in minute detail the 12 tribes' policy toward raising children. You'd be horrified to tell you the truth. Wow. How could I have done that? been listening to inside the tribe hosted by me tim elliott my co-writer and producer is camille bianchi editing by mark wright of term six this is a dm podcast production we've also used some third-party tv and print material through the series with details on those in the show notes If you or anyone you know is affected by any of the subject matter raised in this episode, you can contact Lifeline for crisis support on 131114 if you're in Australia, or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 10273 TALK if you're in the US. Contact information for other services, including support to leave a high control group, can be found in the show notes.